It's our last session together. Please find a seat. Let's get started. Love all the fellowship. But cut it out. <laughs> Beautiful. Come on in. Let's get started. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we do want to thank you for the privilege it's been to be with you this weekend. Thank you for inviting us. David and I have just enjoyed this time so much with you. Uh, we feel really honored to be in this uh, position to be able to share with you this weekend, and we count it as a sacred responsibility. Uh, we know that the scripture says if you teach that you'll be judged more strictly, and we feel that as well, that God is, is going to hold us accountable for our words. But then God also tells us that we are to test everything that we hear. And so that responsibility is on you to test uh, what you've heard from us and see if it be from the Lord and see what he wants you to do with it. And so we're all taking our sacred responsibilities seriously. One of the things that we've enjoyed is hearing some of your stories. You are quite an active group. My goodness. Um, really fun to hear your different professions and how God has placed you through that community with the jobs that he's given you, very strategic places so that you can interface with people all over Summit County. And then the things that you do, like bike across the country and, you know, those things that most normal people don't do, but you do. True. We, we are duly impressed. But I'll tell you what I appreciate and have enjoyed the most as I've um, looked out and talked with you in these times is there is a lot of life in your eyes, really in all of yours, all ages. And I want you to know that that's something very special. David and I have spoken for retreats before by ourselves and together, and that is not always the case. And as we've been interacting with you, there is, I mean, there's <laughs> this going on um, in all of your eyes from the young, young to the, to the older people. And that is a beautiful sign to us that God is doing something in you, with you, through you. And we're just so honored to be a part of that. But when there is that light and life in people's eyes who know Jesus, then we know God is on the move. And, and he, he's, he's going to do stuff with you. He already has. He is. But get ready. Okay? Yep. Get ready. <laughs> That's right. This is no ordinary group of people. In a good way. <laughs> All right. Uh, this morning, as I was thinking about the last three uh, topics that we covered from our verses in Isaiah 43, I uh, thought of one verse for each of those that I just want to remind you of, besides our main verses of fear not. On God being with us in our identity, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. What great love the Father has lavished on us, because he has called us his children. That is who we are. So we go from this place as his children. And then in our reality, Isaiah 5410, um, the NIV, let's see if I can remember it. I've got it in my new living here. Though the mountains be shaken and something, something be removed. Maybe I better read it. <laughs> for, the, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even my, then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, said the Lord, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Isaiah 54.10. No matter what happens in our reality, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my love will not be removed from you, says God. 
and my covenant of blessing will never be removed from you, no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what our reality is. We've heard from some of you, and we sense that you know that God can put glory on any story, no matter what your story. This book is full of that. And there will be times when you feel like you're just dropped right down into the pages of these stories, and your story lines up in some way. But God can put glory on any story. And then in our responsibilities as God is with us, 1 Peter 2.9, we talked about it last night, but just remind you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God for a reason. So that, whenever you see so that in the Bible, reason coming up. I did a study on a thousand so that's in the Bible. So cool. <laughs> anyway, because God's explaining himself. Anytime you see that, God's telling you, uh, here's the deal. So that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a reason you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God with us in our responsibility. Now, as um, I've got these leaves up here, and so afterwards, Deb, Rolf, and Karen, call this jelly. Just make sure you say hi to us because we've been praying for you, okay? We haven't I found still don't you know yet. who you are. I know that's kind of cheating because you all had to find your people without doing this, but okay. <laughs> as David and I were uh, preparing and knew that we wanted to hub out of Isaiah 43 and how would that look and how would we organize it and uh, putting some of our material together. Uh, we, we, we were working along with our sections, and he just kept seeing, saying, I wish we could say something about family. I wish we could talk about that, and it didn't seem to fit. And then we finally said, okay, if God has laid that on your heart, let's just rearrange our topics and just do a session on that. So that's what we've done. We rearranged how we structured the Isaiah 43. We covered that in three and today, we're just going to talk about family. And here's the deal. David and I did a session for our church a few years ago that was six weeks long on marriage and family. And we're going to take those six weeks. <laughs> no, we're just like pulling highlights from that, and we're just going to go really fast. So we can't get down deep into things, but that's what God laid on David's heart. I'm running with it. And we'll give you what we can, kind of. <laughs> what did you do? Thumbs up. Oh, Okay. I missed it. I turned. Okay. So <laughs> I, I just saw that he was doing, you never know with him, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to give you highlights. This is not comprehensive at all. Uh, we're just going to rapid fire some points that we hope might be helpful to you in your journey, at different parts of your journey. And uh, we realize that this is where the rubber meets the road a lot of times when we talk about God with us. So with that... Uh, oh, wait, there's a slide that's coming up. Wait a second. What that is, is if you would like to be, we're missionaries. <laughs> if you would like to be on our mailing list for our email updates or our newsletters, which don't come super often, bad missionaries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we would love for you to, to join our prayer team or be on that. And if you would like to, then would you just send one of us an email saying, put me on your list. Here's my email address or here's my address. Okay, that's what that is. Now to our topic with you in your family. And at first, let's talk about singleness. Just have a few points for those of you who are single at different stages of your life. 
I have beautiful friends, beautiful girlfriends who are single in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, 70s. I had a beautiful friend in her 90s. I told you about my mentor who went to heaven a couple years ago. And um, just outstanding women who are single in those, those stages of their, their life. And these points don't, aren't just for singles, but you get it, okay? It, it's going to overlap and all that. I'll just let you deal with that. All right. The first point is the voice of the Spirit. Please hear this. Hear this loud and clear. If you ever hear in your head or from a person, what's wrong with you? Something must be wrong with you because you're single. That is from the pit of hell. All right? Just be done with that. And the Bible says when things come from the enemy, you resist it. You, you just say, wrong number. It's like it's, it's caller ID and you don't answer. You don't even, you know, I know that. No, uh, no, not giving you the time of day. Whenever you hear that, you listen to the voice of the Spirit. We talked about the voice of the Spirit uh, the first night. And secondly, your calling and purpose in this time is very precious. Whether you're single all of your life or whether it's for a season, there is a calling on you and a purpose. Uh, we know that Paul was single, the great ap Apostle Paul, and he liked it. He said, I recommend it for everybody. I wish you all were like me. Um, and he says, but if you have to be married, okay. Uh, one of his verses uh, from 1 Corinthians 7, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Well, and then he says, he goes on to say the woman, it's the same deal for her, her interests are divided. And he says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. There is something about in singleness where you can have an undivided devotion to the Lord. I remember uh, thinking about getting married to David, and David's going to mention this a little later, but thinking, it's not just me and Jesus anymore. That was really sweet. I liked that. You know what? Adding this sin sinner to the mix, you know? Like, I mean, not that I wasn't a sinner, but it complicates things. It really does. All right. Therein lies some of the core of our first few conflicts. <laughs> <laughs> Which were many. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a friend. Uh, her name is Michelle Watson. She's in her 50s as we are. And uh, she's written a book on dads. Here's what your daughters need from you. Recommend the book. But this is her Facebook post from Friday. She says, people often ask how, ask how I can really be happy and content and fulfilled as a single woman. My response often begins with how we live in a society that is strongly focused on romance rather than reality. And because the reality of my life is that I'm an eternal spiritual being, this life here on earth is temporary. The truth is, I'm done with being obsessed about marriage or singleness, and I just want to get on with living out the calling God has on my life, which has nothing to do with my marital status. That said, here's to Friday date night with myself and my journal. P.S. I wish my 30-year-old self would have been able to connect with this truth a long time ago because it would have saved me a lot of heartache in the process. Thank you, Michelle. Season and strategies. There are certain strategies that we need for different seasons in our life. And in a single season, there are going to be strategies for getting through in a holy way that are really important. Um, our, I told you our son Justin just got engaged. 
when he lived in Oregon, he was part of a group of beautiful Christian friends who he, I just learned this from him recently, he said, all they cared about was finding that one person to complete them and live happily ever after. And that was kind of uncomfortable for him. And then he moved to Boston, and it's, he said, it's just a total hookup culture. And they cannot understand why he and his girlfriend don't live with each other. And they just kind of look at him like, what's wrong with you? So to navigate those two worlds, and he said, but I'm a romantic. And he wants to live out the gospel in respect for this woman that he's engaged to. But we're in these different seasons and different pockets of society. What is our strategy? We're going to need strategies for purity, for how we handle relationships, strategies for ministry, because you're more free to do certain ministries, personal growth, and wise use of free time. I'm going to give you a little uh, secret. When there is a girl who's interested in a guy and she's asking me about him, I have a question I always ask. I say, find out what his relationship to pornography is, what his plan for purity is, does he have a battle plan, and find out what he does with his free time. If you find out the answer to those questions, it will let you know a lot about what your life would be like with that man. Okay? Um, the first one is, what is his relationship to purity pornography? Plan, yeah. Battle plan for purity. And then what does he do with his free time? I've talked to uh, military wives who, bless their hearts, they say, I've been up till two because I wanted to be with my husband. He was deployed and now he's home and he plays video games in the night. And so just so I can be with him, I sit there in the middle of the night while he plays video games. That's tragic. I, I would agree. All right. And then stay alive in your longings. If you long to be married, this is a legitimate longing. And unless God's called you to celibacy, then you are made for marriage, which doesn't guarantee you'll be married. How's that? To be made for something that you don't have a guarantee will happen. That's the key. The temptation is to shut down or to toughen up or to grab whatever we can, just get grabby. But God calls us to holiness that is very alive. Holiness that's alive. And number five, he calls you to stay connected to the body of Christ. Well, is that me? Oh, goodness. <laughs> when we're, uh, <laughs> when you're eating. <laughs> you want some chips, man? I would love some. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> now his teeth are all on edge. <laughs> I've been rendered speechless. <laughs> Hard to do, Jim. <laughs> I wondered where Thank you went. You. It's even one of my favorite flavors. Oh, you guys. The church should be having the most fun in the whole world. And you guys are at the forefront, and I love that about you. But we are trying to give a talk here. And if we go overtime, it's your pastor's fault. We work with the singles at our church, and, and this is our encouragement to you. The, the body of Christ needs you. And the odd thing is, for a single person, sometimes uh, one of the most lonely places in the world is at church, where your uh, longings for family life are aroused. And, and it can be hard. It can be challenging. Uh, we've had 
wonderful discussions with a number of you who are single, and we just keep saying, we're so glad you're here. You are contributing to this body. This body loves you and needs you. Stay here. And you have a lot to offer. Some of the best advice we have had on marriage and uh, parenting over the years has come from our single friends. And they gave it with humility because they don't have the experience, but they have eyes and a brain and they can observe. And sometimes they catch things that uh, we, we were not. So stay engaged, be a part, and we love that uh, you're here. Well, as we pivot to marriage and uh, parenting, and we take a total of about 15 minutes on each of these topics that deserve at least 15 hours or 15 days, these, these topics, um, God didn't put them on my heart because of concern for you. It was the first time I preached up at your church, and Mark had all the kids come forward, and this massive herd of little Israelites just, you know, parted the Red Sea. I thought, there is some marriage and family going on here. Uh, we appreciate uh, a fertile group that uh, take, take the calling of Genesis seriously. That's not in my notes. I just said it. <laughs> just, out of, just out of my head. It just <laughs> happened. Um, but here's the thing. I've had the privilege of becoming friends with a lot of leaders over the years. Men who are leading business, who are leading uh, mission agencies, nonprofit churches. And I love the camaraderie we have in thinking about leadership and about the kingdom of God. But I always turn the conversation to leadership in the home. And if I see that man's passion and excitement uh, and plans and intentionality drop from what I just experienced, I will be in his grill. Because what I believe about marriage and family, when we talk about God with us, this is the place where our faith and our belief in the provision and power of God is most worked out, truly worked out. And if it's not being worked out here, uh, there's a problem. So that's why it's just a passion of ours. And I hope you picked up that Joyce and I have a wonderful relationship. We do. She bragged about our sex life in public. Uh, you did. I know. I, know, I just going. wanted to bring it up again. <laughs> You had me at We Love Sex. I was like, that's my lady. <laughs> but let me tell you this. We got married down in Denver, Colorado. We honeymooned at a condo that we got for free in Dillon, Colorado. Yeah, it was one of the worst weeks of our Bye -bye. life. <laughs> we had a horrible honeymoon. We did. We fought most of the time. I know the Sunrise Cafe, Sunshine Cafe, still there? We, I remember going to breakfast there, and we were just looking at each other going, what, what have we done? <laughs> and we haven't been back since. And I thought, we, we got to go reclaim that cafe. I mean, we could actually go have fun. The first morning of our honeymoon, Joyce, I found Joyce out crying on a rock because, uh, you know, I was sleeping in because I was exhausted and she was worried that she had married a lazy man and we got in a big fight about whether I was lazy. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know who won that fight, but <laughs> just to say, to give you hope, you know, we had a lot of conflict for a lot of years. We did. We were good friends, but we had a rough start. 
but we just kept working at it, working at it, and believing in this, what God has given us. And our first point on marriage is, if I can read it, stay connected to each other in God. This is just obvious. We picture a triangle all the time that our relationship with God affects the other spouse and vice versa. And you know this, and everything we say is just going to be reminders. Um, there's some just beautiful, strong marriages in this room. But uh, you got to work out, uh, you know, you, you have separate relationships with God, but then you're also one and you have a shared relationship. And you have to figure that out as a couple, what that rhythm would be like. I'm an introvert. So for me to, you know, when we started praying together and doing devotions together, like, man, I want to have my own space over here with God. I want to keep that, and I need to keep that intact, but I also need to find this togetherness, and that's part of the dance of marriage that every couple has to work through, and the key, we just encourage you to keep talking about that. Number two, friendship is the foundation and fuel of romance. I don't know if we have this quote by Dr. Don Gottman, John Gottman. I don't think we do, so let me just read it to you. This is a book called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. John Gottman. He's done a lot of research, and he says, I don't have to guess anymore about why some couples stay so happily married. I know why. I have documented just, just what makes happily married couples different from everybody else. At the heart of my program is the simple truth that happy marriages are based in a deep friendship. By this, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. We love that. We found that to be true. Friendship, treating each other with respect. You know, sometimes I think we do treat our good friends better than we do our own spouses. And they're our very best friends. And we should transfer what we think about with our best friends to our very best friends and think about how we uh, relate to each other and talk to each other. And being best friends doesn't mean we all like the same things or do everything together. We like the person, and we love doing life together. Joyce and I don't have a lot of common interests in the sense of the typical common interests. I remember the first time I tried to take <laughs> Joyce golfing. The first and last. <laughs> because it would have been a, you know, a deal breaker for us. It was Joyce with a golf club was one of the most dangerous. Uh, there was... There was grass flying and maybe even a few <laughs> curse words going on. I, I, you know, Joyce doesn't curse very often. I love it when she does. But <laughs> it was just, wow. So now we golf without clubs, meaning we like to go on walks together. So, But we have, we love doing life together, and we have common interest in God's word and teaching and ministry and all kinds of things. And you know the deal, man. Build the friendship. Do the romance thing. Take date nights. Go away together. Do all those things. But that's not what builds the romance. What builds the romance is the intimacy that comes from living life with your best friend and figuring that out day in and day out. Without a date night, that never got into a rhythm of that. But we got into daily rhythms and weekly rhythms that were really sweet. The third point is the usefulness of conflict, that conflict can actually become your friend, that we can take down bricks that have made a wall, and usually it's one by one. We can take the brick down from the wall and put it down and make a path, that the actual conflict 
can end up being a whole new path of communication or of understanding that we can then walk on for the rest of our marriage. So I look at our marriage and the landscape of it as having highs and lows, as having valleys that we're not sure how we're going to cross. And we're going to have to make some bridges. We're going to have to make some, some paths for us. We are two sinners living together. But we need to remember that we're on the same team. We have different positions on the team, but we're on the same team. It's helped me. It took me a while. But it, I finally got to the place where I told myself as a conflict was coming up, you know, how here it goes. And I, I would say to myself, there's a good chance you're not 100% right. You know, like, just, just tell yourself that. There's, you know, there's a good chance that you're just not 100% right. That helps me. Uh, I really like to be right. Uh, and then if we realize that in the conflict, there's this beautiful opportunity to get to the other person's heart. We have gotten to deep places in each other's heart because often pain is underneath anger. And when we can get past the anger down to the pain, in those times, I will learn about him and he will learn about me in ways that we couldn't if we hadn't had that painful conflict that felt like a fire we were walking through. <laughs> um, so try to get to the other person's heart eventually. Uh, we had some rules for conflict that were our rules, uh, and it, they were don't hit, swear, or walk out, okay? Because that just makes it all kinds of worse than the conflict that you're in. And it doesn't mean that I've never sworn or that he's never sworn, but, but that's still our rule. And one time he did walk out. And I, you know, I'm, we're in Germany. I'm leaning over that porch of our little apartment. David, get back here! You know, I mean, just beautiful things like that, you know. <laughs> and it was so painful. We just decided that was not happening again. That It just wasn't worth it. It just hurt too much. So just figure out what your boundaries and are for, for fighting fairly so that you're not worried, oh, no, he's going to walk out. Oh, no, oh, no, and absolutely no for me. Um, I put down complain, but don't blame. And by that, I mean go ahead and tell the truth about what's wrong. You can go ahead and say, this is hurting, and this is how this came across, and this is what I thought when you said this. But as soon as we start to go, and you're, you're to blame for blah, 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 like that, then we're in a whole new territory that makes somebody want to be defensive. So as much as we can speak the truth without assigning blame, we'll just get through our conflict faster and then learn to listen. James 1.9 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There is something about learning how to listen. I think we'll all, we can all be better listeners. We all need to work about on that all our life. And Proverbs 15.31 says he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. There's a three-word uh, phrase that we have learned to use a lot. And it is these words, help me understand. Help me understand. And then I want to say no matter what the conflict, no matter how bad things get, you never, ever have an excuse for cheating on your spouse. Ever. You will never be glad that you did that. You will always be sorry if you take that route with handling conflict. I'm not saying it's not possible for a relationship to be restored. We've seen it. We've seen it happen where a relationship's restored after infidelity. We've seen that several times. It's possible. We've also seen relationships be finished by that. But no matter how bad that person's hurting you, no matter how hard the conflict, that is never a reason 
for you to be unfaithful. You know the quote, the grass is always greener where it's watered. The grass is always greener where it's watered. You water the grass wherever you are, wherever God has called you to be. Now, that's not to say that some marriages won't end. That is going to happen in this broken, fallen world. And some of you have gone through that pain, and you have walked through it. And some of you, I don't know if you're in the middle of it now or not, we've walked through that with some friends where it was the right thing to do. Um, we can't go into all of that right now. Just want to acknowledge it. And then the fourth thing is that it, it's import the importance in a marriage of kingdom purpose together. There is nothing so bonding as being about the kingdom with each other. We talked about this last night. There's a whole other heavenly, eternal reality going on here. And if we're not connected to that whole eternal, heavenly reality as a couple in our family, and we're just all about this earth, we're missing it. We have to be connected to that long-haul view, to the work that God's doing around us in the ways that we cannot see, because that is very real. And when we both care about the kingdom of God, when we both pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that's how we're living, there is a bond that is so deep and so strong and so beautiful in a marriage when you're about the king's business. Back on, on one comment on the not walking out. It, it doesn't mean we're not saying don't take a time out, right? Right. right. Because right. I know <laughs> this lovely lady sometimes has made me so mad right that i knew i knew i was going to say things i was going to regret that i wasn't thinking clearly and i just had to say i just need space to recover so that i can i can work through this conflict without it just being all about my anger and my perspective and saying things that are going to hurt her um so we we're we're advocating don't leave the area don't you know walk away from your spouse and just let them deal with it but we do know that when anger is present it's really valuable to take time out give yourself a self go sit, sit in the corner david and get yourself yeah. under control well and there have been times you know people say don't go to bed angry and we would have been up all night if that would have happened sometimes yeah. and so there are times when he's i've heard him snoring and i'm crying you know so it's not often but it has happened and um and the thing that will get me through that is knowing here's here's the deal I, i'll say to god at that time he is your son you know he's not my son to raise he's yours <laughs> So go get him, you know, go get him, Lord, because he's your boy. And, and when, because I know that he walks with God and that God can get his attention and God can tell him what he wants, then I can wait till God does his thing. And then and it might be the next day. It might be two days. I know he's going to come and say, all right, all right, let's, let's work this out. And, and you know that when you're in the midst of, of, of a com conflicts that are, you know, repeating or or just so aggrievous you can't make uh, headway, get help. Yes, Get amen. help. And I, and I speak to the men in particular because we can tend to be proud about this. Go get help. Get a third party. Be a man. Get help. We call counselors a professional friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Point number five, privilege of life together. Uh, we've talked about this, but... And I'm sure you're doing it, but just make sure you're talking about your routines and, and uh, how you go about your days and, and how you're 
caring for the kids and your time schedules and, and be in rhythm on that. Talk about that. Don't assume something would, uh, without checking it through your spouse. But there's just, it, it's a, especially for you young families, it's a lot of work. You've got to do it all the time, constantly. And find the times where you're going to catch up and what your routines are. Uh, Joyce and I have, for our 30 years, uh, for the most part, almost always gone to bed together. It's something we just determined. We're going to try to go to bed together. And that can be hard, especially when the kids are finally down and we're getting our free time. I'm probably watching sports and she's reading or whatever. And to say, okay, are you near the end of your time? Because we just want to close the day together. And that's been a valuable, speaking of closing, it's been a valuable thing for us. It's life together is where the real good stuff happens. Do I have time for the 20th anniversary? On our 20th anniversary, the night... Meetings almost every Sunday evening. So we just coordinate our calendar so we know what's on each other's calendar. He's trying to get me to do electronic. I'm slow. But anyway. It would really help. Calendar (laughs) meetings. And then we figure out, we communicate if we're having family dinner or not so that we know at this time we're having family dinner. Uh, I make the dinner. He cleans up. So some of those rhythms that that you've mentioned. Okay. Tell the story. Okay. (laughs) So the the day before our 20th wedding anniversary, we were at Jonathan's Little League game, and he's just a little guy. I think it was machine pitch, okay. and we're just doing, just doing the family thing, and um, <laughs> Jonathan hits a home run. He's a good little athlete. You know, you little, little league parents, you're just like, yeah, he's the best in the world, <laughs> right? And uh, he runs the bases, and he's running back to the dugout, and just before he gets to the dugout, he, he, just, he rips his helmet off, and unfortunately, there was a kid in a place he shouldn't have been swinging a bat. He shouldn't have been swinging. And Jonathan was running, and that kid turned and hit him right in the face. <laughs> Full swing. Right in the nose. We just saw Jonathan drop. And, uh, you know, the doctor told us later the nose was the best place. <laughs> it was concaved, and we were at the ER for I don't know how long where they stuffed stuff up there, but it could have killed him. And it could have taken his whole... Uh, all his teeth out. Whew. Later, I asked Jonathan, why'd you take your helmet off before, before you got to the dugout? And he said, for the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I hope you keep that in mind, how dangerous doing things for the ladies can be. And Joyce went into Mama Bear more. She was up and, I mean, you know, I went, I, I have the, I, I get frozen first. I get adrenaline and I'm not the best in the first 10 seconds of a crisis because I'm, <laughs> Joyce is just like, boom, you know, she had people around. We were getting eyes. She had the angels of heaven circling over, <laughs> you know. Anyway, we went through that whole trauma at the ER and we brought him home eventually and, and then he's sleeping, you know, uh, in our bed and, and, and eventually, you know, he didn't have to have surgery. Amazingly, the doctor just was able, after some healing time, straighten that septum out. And, and he's a very handsome uh, kid. The ladies love him. <laughs> and, uh, but the next day is our wedding anniversary. So whatever I had planned, I'm sure I had all kinds of beautiful things planned. I don't remember. You know, we just were caring for him. The team was coming by. We had to <laughs> hug and forgive that kid who, who was a really troubled kid. And boy, let me tell you, that little league got safe after that incident. And they had the circles and the rules and all that but uh we're just grateful to god that we still had our little buddy with us and uh, so we ordered out chinese food for our 20th wedding anniversary 
And somewhere in there, you know, the other kids were around and, you know, people were coming and going with stuff. And I looked over at Joyce and she looked back. And it was the most precious, romantic anniversary moment I think we ever had. She said, do you realize, Mother, that you were reminded of how precious this is that we've had? This is precious. And then finally, the gift of presence. As we've been talking about God's presence with us, so just the, the presence, His presence, our presence to each other. And being present, I think uh, it's easy to be distracted. Chips are, are, are the least of my issues in terms of distraction. Uh, there are so many things that, and, and, and guys, our wives know when we're not there. They know. Be present. Heart and soul. All right, we're going to transition to parenting. I'm looking at the clock going, ooh, here we go. All right. Um, with you, God, with us in parenting. This picture that we have here of our kids that was just taken a year ago, you look at that and you go, oh, they're all so happy. They're all so well-adjusted and all that. Yes, they are. And in that picture, what you don't see is you don't see the two years of grumpies that this kid did and the two years of grumpies that this kid did. <laughs> and you don't see that this kid you know, pulled the apple out and hit his sister in the head because they were so angry arguing while we're on, on the uh, trip, you know, in the van. And we get in the van and everybody's crying because he hit me with an apple and she's, she's crying because she's been so mean to me. And, you know, all of that, you don't, you don't see all that. You don't see the 36-day battle with the three-year-old who would not go to bed 36 nights in a row. <laughs> and everything we tried wasn't working for that one on the left. You don't see that in second grade, they told her she was behind on reading and she had to have tutoring and she ended up being valedictorian of her class. Because you don't know those things in second grade when you know your kid's struggling reading. You don't know that she's going to be valedictorian down the road. You don't see all the process when you see these kids thrown and happy in that candid shot of, of just getting ready for a picture. But the, the journey of parenting is a journey. And it's a long and the things that we're trying to pour into our children, it takes a long time. I remember my dad saying to me one time, we're on the 18-year plan. It's okay if you don't get it today, but we're going to keep working on it, right? And sometimes it's more than 18 years. We, we understand that as well. So we've just broken down um, this parenting thing into a, a few stages. Some of it's from um, classical education. People have done studies on this, Eric Erickson and development. So this isn't all our, like, original we kind of put the words to uh, birth to five at, to shape, that our job is to shape our kids. And here are some things that we suggest. Um, establish a routine, that when children are little, they do need a routine. They need to know they're going to eat at a certain time. Their little bodies, it's going to be so good for them to have this knowledge that I'm going to eat at this time. Even though they can't tell time, their bodies are going to know. And they know they get snack at this time. And they have nap at this time. And every day doesn't always go with routine, but if they know what the routine is, then when you go off routine, they're going to be a lot more peaceful. Sleep is super important. Sometimes children are misbehaving just because they're tired, and it's the parent's responsibility to work out the schedule so that the kid gets enough sleep, okay? Um, I am actually in this quite down deep because I watch our grandchildren. It was three days a week, the first three days a week this year, it's one day a week. So I got, a, I asked for a double stroller for Christmas. You know, that was my gift. 
and um, and I got car seats in my car, and I got we've got a pack and play in our in our bedroom. So we're we're here with you, <laughs> in a little different different way. Um, okay, and then a night routine in our family. Night routine was the place where we chose to connect with our kids, where we took time out of our day, and each of us spent time with them. Um, I told the Bible stories, and David told the Guru Shally stories, which is Guru Shally is a made up person and the events of the day and just made up a fun story. You can imagine <laughs> what he could come up with. Yeah, I told the Bible story <laughs> and he told it. All right, but we each had time with them and we prayed with them. And interestingly, for our younger two um, kids, they will still come in uh, at night and say, I'm ready for you to pray with me. And we pray. We don't, we don't make them pray. It's just all about us praying over them. It's really precious. It's really precious. Um, okay, establish a routine. Expect respect. This is not because you're just, you know, because I'm the adult, that's why. No, it's because this is how we treat each other. And I respect you, and you respect me, and God has asked us to train our children so that they respect and honor their parents. Um, remember, we, we go to the nursing home on Christmas morning as a start to our day with cards that the kids have, have colored and all that, and then we go home and open our gifts. And I remember seeing a lady who was 103 years old and Justin was a little guy and he goes, he, he walks away and he goes, she must have really honored her parents. <laughs> because, um, because there's a promise that comes with that. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. So when we help our kids respect and honor us, we're actually lengthening their life. It's a good thing, okay? Um, and we can go into all kinds of things like this. If you have questions about how to do this, ask a teacher. Teachers actually have a lot of practice on um, helping children res be respectful. Enforce consequences for disobedience. Discipline is more than punishment. It's training for righteousness. It does involve punishment. Punishment is a, is a part of it. And here's what I say about punishment. It should be uh, dispensed like medicine in the smallest effective dosage. All right? So if it's just a little like that or if it's just a hey my cousin has a four-year-old and she goes Ch -ch -ch to her when she's not supposed to when she's starting to get on no touch things you know I say no touch she just goes Ch -ch -ch, and her daughter backs away it's beautiful okay that's all she needs because that's she's trained her training lots of practice okay um Hebrews 12 11 no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it we don't think that shame and guilt are good motivators for anybody of any age. So we want to try to keep away from that and train our children so that they, are, they know what it means when you go into a no-touch store. Remember going in with our kids to a no-touch store and just saying, okay, this is a no-touch store. And the store owner said, well, that's a concept. You know, <laughs> you can see she's scared, but she didn't have to be afraid because we'd practiced that. We hadn't taken all the no-touch things away. We'd practiced what that was. They knew what to do. Okay. Go. <laughs> One of the things we've observed with you with kids in this stage is how much you're enjoying them. And we see how hard you're working, and we remember how hard you're working. It's all hands on deck all the time. But don't forget just to your face to light up when you see them, to enjoy them, because they'll return that. Right. Your face lights up over the years, and now we're seeing with our granddaughters, their face lights up to see us. That starts with you. And I just want to say this to dads. I know the temptation when the kids were in this stage. I have a very demanding job, very. And the temptation was to think I could shift into neutral when I got home. It's not true. 
I was going home to the most important part of my day. And I just chose for how many ever years we've been parents uh, <laughs> that I wasn't going to rest or even think about resting or watching a game or doing whatever until those kids were in bed. So that's how I handled that because I wanted to be present, especially in this young age. I wanted to come home and that and them to experience me fully and I was going to be there fully until they were asleep. And, and, I, and I did it. <laughs> I might have thought, oh, I got to rest. I'm, I have such a hard job. Well, I do. But look, here I am. I did it. You can do it too. <laughs> do it. All right. Uh, I have a little booklet that's out on that table by the bookmarks uh, that you're welcome to pick up if you want. It's just a little tiny little thing that make a big difference. Hints and helps from one mother to another. There are two versions of it. It's the same book, so don't get both of them. You just need one, okay? One's just an updated version that I don't have very many copies of. All right, the next stage. Um, oh, the goal in this stage is to help the child be good, to know how to behave. And sometimes we acknowledge there will be other issues going on. We have a friend who was just working and working with her sons, and this one just kept misbehaving. Turned out he had a sensory issue. That once that got diagnosed and he was able to have therapy for that, it really helped the behavior. So sometimes there are, are things going on with that. But this is a day-to-day -day job. When the child is 6 to 12, we want to equip them. This is the time for instruction. This is the time when you do repetition. This is the time when you do Bible memory. And uh, if you want to do a few more verses, passages with motions, I have them on my website. I don't know when that comes up. Oh, well, it'll come up whenever you see it. Um, I, I we vid videoed some verses. I would just do two verses a week with our kids and did them with motions and rhythm. This is the time to do that. Uh, this is the time to have joy, intentionality, to learn chores. And we had a chore chart that rotated. Um, so, you know, there were four pages because of four kids and every, every time it switched. And every job had a spray bottle, okay? So there wasn't a week that went by that you didn't have a chore where you could spray something because that's more fun, right? So Windows is on a different day than Counters, which is an on different day. Um, I'm trying to think of what the spray bottle did. Oh, then dusting, you can use it. Okay, that's it. Um, that's the time to do that. We already read the verse from Deuteronomy that says, These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So much of life is, is not um, formal. It's informal. It's normal, not formal. But there are times when we're going to have some formal training. I ended up keeping our kids home on Wednesdays for one-day homeschool while they were in grade school. I got permission from the principal and then told the teachers that's what we did so I could have my time for piano lessons, memory work during the day. That's what I did. That's the time to teach your children how to set a table. And some of you just went, <gasps> I don't know how to set a table. As soon as I said that, that's okay. That just means somebody didn't teach you. And so if somebody didn't teach you, then you ask. And you go to a trusted person in this congregation who you know knows. And I'll just give you a clue. The F-O-R-K goes on the L-E-F-T, four and four. And the S-P-O-O-N goes on the R-I-G-H-T, okay? That helps. But we have taught so many of our children's friends how to set a table. And when they join us for, for dinner and our kids are setting the table, we have them, them join us and we always set the table every time. We just, and we put them all, put the fork, the knife, the thing, okay. Whatever, however you choose to do things like that. But teach your children those life skills. And if you haven't done it before um, or haven't been trained, ask. 
also parents, be kind to yourself because you haven't done this before. You haven't, you know, you don't have a degree in parenting because you went through it already. It's always the first time with each child with each stage. And so we are always, always learning, always growing. The goal in this stage is to help the child to be wise. Okay, ages 13 to 19. Just as there's more than the five minutes we're going to give on it, but uh, we, try, we turn to coaches here. This is really where we're starting the release process. And uh, we're still working hard, but now it becomes more emotionally challenging. Uh, we are engaged at, on a whole nother level uh, in, in this releasing process. And um, so we're just going to run through a few ideas we have on, on this. Some of you are in this, um, and uh, we feel your pain. <laughs> okay, the first point we want to say is dialogue regularly. Just stay in communication. And uh, as those of you parents of teenagers know, that means you'll probably be staying up late at night. Uh, we had a 10 o'clock uh, weekday curfew and a midnight weekend curfew for our kids, and especially once they start driving, and you hear those tires come up right at the stroke of midnight, <laughs> you know. I, I just stayed awake. Sometimes I was awake in bed or something, but most of the time I was awake. And for different ones of our kids, um, that was the time, especially with the guys, with the boys, that's when they would talk to me. The girls kind of talked to me uh, as we went along, and, and your kids are different. But I found that if I went out in my jammies and stood in the kitchen where the s just the stove light was on, that that was when the guys would open up. And I thought, if I have to go get my glasses or if I have to go to the bathroom, it's over. I have to stand here as long as I can because this is precious time if your child is opening up at that time. Whether it's the mom or the dad, and it doesn't, I'm not saying every single night, but that's, that's what it costs. That's our nights. took a long time to get kids to sleep when they were young, and then when they were teens, we just had it in our heads that that time was going to be set aside for kids. So dialogue reg regularly, and then your decision-making will need to be shared. They really need to be able to have a say in it. I remember when our kids went to high school and our oldest, we had decided they needed to be in band for a semester because we knew what high school bands did with the marching band, and... Um, and then they could choose after that. And I remember our daughter, Karis, and the, we were on a trip. She's crying in the back of the room. What's wrong? What's going on? You're ruining my life, you know? I'm like, what? Band. Because I have to be in band, you're going to ruin my whole high school, you know? And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, should I let it go? And I just said, I think you're going to save me. I'm not sure. But you know what? It's just a semester. And that's what we're asking you to do. And after that, the whole other three and a half years, it's your choice. So she chose to stay in band. But she really did truly have the choice after that. Decision-making is going to need to be shared, and they will need to be able to speak into the things that are happening in life. Differentiation is necessary. Recognizing or ascertaining what makes someone or something different. This is where our kids are trying to decide what of us is going to be them. And this is the time where we need to release them and begin releasing them to discovering on their own in their faith and their values who they're going to be. And this is tough. Every kid goes through it differently. Our younger two, it was pretty, pretty a mile. Our older two, it was a rough couple of years. Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is what we're, our kids are in that stage now of giving their own account. 
And in the Timothy passage, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. And that now lives in you. This, this is a confusing and challenging stage because <coughs> this is the point where parents make the mistake of trying to control stronger because you see your, your dear, precious kids starting to make choices. And some of those choices we need to step in and for their own good hold the line. Others we need to step back and start releasing and letting them begin to experience and experiment with their own thoughts and their own mind. This is rough. This is a challenging stage. This is not just about their differentiation. I guarantee you it's about our sanctification (laughs) where we say, God, how do we trust you? And this is one where we had to talk with other friends who had been through it and just try to get some sense of how do we coach through this process and allow this process. Because if you don't allow it to happen here, it's going to happen when they go away and you're not there. So you want to do it now when you actually have at least a little say in the process and a little help with the consequences before they're gone. And they'll do it on their own. If you suffocate during this time, they often, the statistics are true with evangelical Christian kids. They go to college and there's a wild. They're like, I'm done with that. You've got to let them find their own faith in these years. And it's tough. That's all we can say at this point. And delight in your child, especially if the child is being grumpy and unenjoyable. Because that can happen where your child is really unenjoyable. This precious, cute kid turns into this grumpy, Mm. sullen teenager Mm. Mm. for days and months and maybe a year or two on end. And that's where we get to say, I'm the adult. I know God has a plan. I know he's gifted this child. I know this child will come out of it. And I'm going to still smile. I'm gonna, my face is still going to light up when I see that person. And I'm going to still believe the best about them and delight in them during this time. And then we need to depend on God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. God will give us wisdom. He promises. So we ask for it every day. Uh, and then the goal in this stage is to help teens become mature. These are tough years, and we know there's a different rate of maturity. And some of our teens we wish would become mature sooner. But, you know, the brain is forming in this time. Our daughter Kyrie took a class uh, by the uh, man who wrote the book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by 25. And um, she said, Mom, do you know that the last part of the brain to form is judgment? (laughs) Yes, that makes sense. And your brain doesn't form until you're 25? Okay, so you know, you're starting to understand some things. And you know the part that's just really like really alive and all that in the teenage years? It's risk-taking. Okay, without judgment. Huh. <laughs> you know, you're just like, really? That's, that's really some of what's going on. Some of what's going on is developmental physiological stuff. And we, we just got to weather it. We went through it ourselves, and we need to give grace to our teenager who's going through it as well. Final stage of release, and we know we're over time, so we're just going to wrap up with this. This is the stage we're in. Thank you for all the encouragement. You guys, you guys have really encouraged us in the stage we are in. I mean, and not right away after that first talk, some of you came up and said, hey, they're going to come back and live with you, so relax. You know, that, that's, 
because this releasing time is different for every kid. And if they need to come back for a while, that's just great with us. But it's that dance of in and out as they come and go. And, uh, and we just, Jonathan's off to college. We FaceTime him just recently. And we just had a beautiful time catching up and just seeing him do his thing. But, but then I was telling Joyce later, I said, you know, I think it's time you, you can stop telling Jonathan to drink a lot of water. I think he, I think he, if he doesn't know that by doesn't now. He's feeling good. He always and when he goes cliff water, jumping yeah. off the cliffs in San Diego with, the, you know, with his RA and those, you don't have to check in on all the safety rules that Point Loma has on. Let him, let him just go. Let him go. Uh, he's ready. And the, sta- the goal of this stage, of course, is to be a friend. Or as Steve and Kathy said, be a consultant. I like that word too. We're trying to kind of find the word. What is, what is it in this time? And it's probably going to be different for different kids. Um, it was so precious uh, when we had dinner with Jonathan before we said goodbye to him. Just a few hours later, he looked across the table and he said, thanks for my childhood. I loved it. But I want to stay. I'm ready to stay here. You know, it was just so precious. Thanks for my childhood. I mean, we're just so glad you gave that to me. Now he's ready to go. And then I remember Justin saying over the phone a few years ago, so mom, I've realized that you really are wise. And that I really should listen to you. And so if you've got anything to say, you better tell me. (laughs) Well, some tables have turned and it's good. It's good. All right. And of course, these, everything we've talked about relate to the goals for this week. And uh, you figure that on your own because we're out of time. (laughs) The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. We love you guys. Thanks for this time with me.